Good morning to one half of the greatest group of people I know. Brother Leonard, Brother Todd, you guys are making it hard to be a preacher this morning. But we're going to do our best to hold it together. Thank you for all of your prayers, Brother Leonard. That, that was a beautiful prayer. Thank you. But thank you for all of your prayers. It has been a challenging last week or so. I can't even fathom how much stuff people can accumulate in four years when you got a big house just to put it in, you know? And it has been quite a whirlwind. Miss Lenora is in Lenora, we're moving packing mode. I have experienced this a number of times in my life. And the best thing to do is say, yes, ma'am, and get out of the way. But she does. She's a little bit, I mean, Lenora is a very educated, intelligent woman. But when she's in that frenzy, got to get it done, packing mode, you never know what might happen. We have a box at our house ready to go that says juke drawer, J-U-K-E. I said, what's that? It's the junk drawer. What do you think? I didn't point out that it was misspelled, <laughs> but I am now. And, and it wasn't just misspelled on one side. It was misspelled on all six sides. And then she's been frantically selling stuff on the... Uh, let me tell you, if you put something on that Facebook marketplace, you better be ready because you're going to get 400 distracting little... Where are you? Can we come get it? Well, she's in packing mode and a little distracted. She put several things on there. People have been coming by and taking these things that we don't need to take with us, like a gas dryer in a place where they don't use gas, you know, so no use for it. So we're getting rid of things. Well, one thing on there, they said, well, where are you? And she said, we're in Auburn Hills, Michigan. And the lady said, Michigan? And she put it on instead of Clarkston, Michigan. Clarksville, Tennessee. The lady said, I'm not coming to get that. So we had, a, it's just been a, it's been an adventure. It has been an adventure. But thank you for your prayers. You know how much we love you. In this morning's lesson, we're going to study from Philippians chapter one. And the caption over this in some of the commentaries, I thought just made this text the perfect final text to examine. And we looked at it a little bit a couple Wednesday nights ago, but I want to really, really work through this precious, and this is the caption that's over it, desire for dear friends. You know, when you look at the book of Philippians, it's one of Paul's prison epistles, we call them. He wrote several of the New Testament letters from his imprisonment in the city of Rome. They're the later, in fact, they're the last writings of the Apostle Paul. He's an aged man who's been on all the missionary journeys. He has devoted his life and faced so many difficulties, suffering, persecution. He has been beaten. He has been stoned and left for dead. And now he's in a prison cell that he will never leave. In fact, we know historically that Nero would pull him from his imprisonment, and in a very short time, after this book is written, he'll be beheaded and go home to be with the Lord 
And finally, as he speaks, receive his reward, his crown, that he has run in this race of life. But as he writes from the prison cell, he writes a number of those wonderful New Testament epistles by inspiration. Yet of all of them, the book of Philippians is somewhat unique and somewhat special because it is written to those whom the Apostle Paul felt closest to. It's written to his dear friends. I I tell my students at sunset, you know, they're just going into ministry or have just started ministry and we're dealing with all the ins and outs and the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of being a preacher. And I always tell them, I said, well, in your life, you'll probably have a Corinth. And if you've read the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, the first, the second one's a little less edgy, but the first one particularly, he'll start off and praise them. But you've got about one page of praise, and the rest of the book is stern stern discipline, where he's having to correct problem after problem after problem. The book of Philippians is distinctly different. And so I tell my students, you're probably going to have a Corinth. Just grit your teeth and do the Lord's work. But your reward is at some point in your ministry, you're probably going to have a Philippi. I've had a Philippi. And so what Paul writes to them here is so very dear to my heart this morning. And when you look throughout the rest of the chapter, the context is he's in prison. He doesn't know if he'll get out, but he has confidence that he will. And he talks about his yearning is to be there with them. And he's going to use this circumstance that isn't really his choice, isn't really his desire. He's going to use it to try to tell them and encourage them and teach them things. He'll continue on in in the next section after we leave verse 11, where we're going to study through in just a moment. He'll say, talk about his imprisonment because they're upset that he's in prison. They love him and he loves them. And he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it's become evident even to the whole palace guard and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And he wants them to be encouraged. So he says, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, don't let this situation, because you love me, don't let my current circumstance discourage you. The Lord works all things together for the good of those who love him. That's how he knew they'd be all right if they just kept on in faith. I know you'll be all right. Every confidence. You know we'll be all right. Because people of faith, we have that unifying confidence in the Lord. And there'll be troubles. He goes on in that same section and he says, and some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. He says, yes, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problem people. He says, but 
It's not, it's never all lost. He says, you've got to find a way to see it from the right perspective. He says, but what then? Only that in every way Christ is preached. And in this, I will rejoice and will rejoice. So he says, just try to look at it through those lenses of faith. And then he's going to close out the chapter by getting real. He says, but I'm confident according to my earnest expectation and hope that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He says, so that as always, so now also with all boldness, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, it will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And so that section, I mean, we've read that. We've heard that all of our lives. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. But it's in the context of him writing to the people he would least want to leave in all the world. But he says we have to see things spiritual. And to be with Christ, to fulfill that destiny and purpose of our lives, that's what matters most. So as we back up, I want us to move back to verse 1 now that we've built the context of this chapter and read this introductory comments that address these folks who are the dearest friends as a group of people. Now he had Timothy and Silas and those who would spend time with him on his missionary journeys. But as a group, this is the closest people to Paul in all the world. You know, when we think about the word friend, friends are precious things, precious people, because they're different than acquaintances. And when we're meaning friends, there's different levels of friendship, isn't there? I mean, there's the people that, you know, you may see at the, the Rotary Club or people you may play golf with every now and again, people at work who are your work friends. That's, that's one level of friendship. But then there's dear friends. Uh, several years ago, a British magazine conducted a contest of its readers to submit the best definition of a friend. And some of the entries were quite good. That One person said, a friend is one who multiplies joy, divides grief, and whose honesty cannot be challenged. I thought that was good. Another said, a friend is one who understands our silence. Another said, a friend is one who has a volume of sympathy for every pain in your life. Another said, a a friend is a watch that beats true for all time and never wears down. But the winning definition was this. 
A friend is one who comes in when the whole world is going out. What a definition. I have often wondered, you know, we've been packing everything up and our neighbors are all looking at us because it's all piled in the driveway like the Beverly Hillbillies. But we're moving to Mississippi, so it's okay. Um, but, you know, they, we, we love the people, some of the folks on our block, and, and, and you know, they've been saying goodbye, we're going to miss you and all this. And, and I, I must say, I've often wondered, how do people live in this world without the church? I, I just don't, I can't even fathom. Without dear friends and people whose friendship is not rooted, it's rooted in something supernatural. It's not rooted in just whether you have anything in common. It's not rooted in whether or not you're particularly likable or whether or not, you know, you're, you're the most enjoyable person to them. It's not fleeting like friendship of the world. And as I look back over the years of our lives with our family and our children, I feel so blessed to have been a part of a family of dear friends. And so as Paul dives into this text, he's going to start with this customary greeting. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he'll start in and say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. And so as he dives in this first section, he's going to describe his overwhelming thankfulness for his dear friends. And I'll tell you, in the church, and this has been true so many places where Lenore and I have labored, but it is of particular, particular truth here in Waterford. Lives are filled and flooded with memories which can't ever be replaced, which you look back and they just become so very precious. I remember falling through the ice with Ron Englehart. I promise you that ain't ever going to happen again. But I wouldn't go back and undo it. I can think of so many times that we've spent time together, had many of you in our homes, and we went to the Feltner's party for, for Christmas and seen the crazy gifts you give each other and laughed and cut up. We've eaten at fish fries and sat at potlucks and played golf with some of you. And, and I think about all those times, and I wouldn't change a single minute because when it's dear friends, those memories, those times we've spent are something to be thankful for. And Paul says, I'm overwhelmingly thankful for all of you. He said, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. They were participants. You see, as an apostle, he didn't do his work alone. The church 
was his partners in that work. As a preacher or as a shepherd, I'll tell you, that is one of the most rewarding aspects of ministry is that you don't just preach to people, you minister with people. And it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship back and forth. It's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And so Paul says, you've been participants with me. In other words, everything that I've accomplished, everything that I've become, you're a part of that as much as I am. And I'll tell you, everywhere that a preacher labors contributes to who he is. And no one has contributed more to who I will be than you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Paul will talk about the participation that Philippi and the other Macedonian churches provided him when he says, Brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and deep poverty, they abounded in riches with liberality. For I bear witness according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. He said, they were so helpful. They were so encouraging. They implored us to be the best that we could be. I implore you in two weeks from now when the next brother stands in this pulpit that you be the same for him that you, as you've done for Carrie Williams, that for Tad, that you implore and encourage him to be the best he can be. He continues on in our text in verse 6. As Paul says, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He says, I have every confidence that just as God has blessed you, he's going to continue to bless you. I have no doubt that is true here with all the hearts that love the Lord so, so deeply. And I feel absolutely confident that in years to come, when I come back and visit, and I will, whether you want me to or not, that Waterford will be the largest church of Christ in the state of Michigan, very soon. And that you'll continue to thrive because God is good. And remember, I've told you this before, but remember, if you are all about God, God will be all about you. He will be all about you. He says... Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as my, in the participation of the gospel, and then it'll continue on, verses 7 and 8. He says, I have you in my heart, as in your participation in my chains, and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're partakers with me of grace, for God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all. 
with the affection of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm grateful for the intimate closeness that we share. Verses 9 through 11, he transitions from his thankfulness to his prayer for their continued growth. As in verse 9, he says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. You see, Paul says, my prayer is very simple, that you stay exactly as you are. Please, don't change. There's no need to. Please, please continue to be the marvelous congregation that you are. Because if you do, there is no question that the Lord will be with you and that your reward will be secure. Well, I know this lesson is a little more rambling than I typically do, but I've done actually pretty good getting through it. I just couldn't preach anything other than this passage today. That's how I feel about you, as Paul felt about the Philippians. And I'm thankful that I got to preach in Philippi. And I am so grateful for Brother Tad. And however long he's here, the man after Brother Tad, and the one later, and the one after that, because every preacher should have a Philippi. Thank you for being an example of what a great congregation should be. We love you and always will. If you're subject to an invitation this morning, if you've been sitting there and haven't known what to think except that you're envious of my tie. <laughs> Envy is a sin. <laughs> and you can't have it. A few of you asked if I'm going to wear this my first Sunday in Mississippi. That's not a good idea. <laughs> but seriously, if you have any need, you know that this church, this great church, won't ever judge you. Look down on you. All they want to do is help you, encourage you, and lift you up. If you come right now as we stand and as we sing. <laughs>